Psalm chapter 68, if you would please. Psalm chapter number 68, it's a long psalm. I'm not going to try to preach verse by verse through the whole thing, but I'm going to point some things out to you uh, by way of introduction, and then I'm going to kind of preach a little bit of a a theme or a topic from the passage in application to our lives, and we'll pick the verses out that'll uh, help with that. But I hope to be a blessing to you tonight. I've been praying hard that God would help me to be a blessing, and I I do want to be a blessing to you. The Bible says in Psalm 68, notice... The title to the chief musician, a psalm or song of David, uh, verses 1 through 3, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Skip down with me, if you would, please, to verse number 11. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company that published it. Now skip down to verse number 28. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. Rebuke the company of spearmen, the multitude of the bulls, with the calves of the people. Till every one submit himself with pieces of silver, scatter thou the people that delight in war. Princes shall come out of Egypt, Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth, O sing praises unto the Lord, Selah. To him that rideth upon the heavens of heavens, which were of old, lo, he doth send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. What I want to preach to you about in just a couple of minutes is strength and power. Something that every one of us needs, especially in the day and age that you live in as we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. That's something we need more now than we've ever needed it before. It's going to take me a minute or two to get to that topic, so just bear with me if you would. But before I get started, I'm going to pick on Jesse. Would you please pray and ask God to bless the preaching? Amen. All right, now Psalm chapter 68 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the second advent. Uh, This whole chapter is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to have you remember, and forgive me if this is repetition, but but for those of you that have already heard it, you need repetition for the sake of learning. And for the sake of those that have not been here, i got to repeat this. You look at your Bible, every passage in your Bible, if you want it to make sense to you, you have to look at every passage in three different ways. Number one, there's a historical aspect to your Bible. Who is writing and what was going on at that time? Number two, there's a doctrinal aspect to every chapter in your Bible. The doctrinal aspect is what is being taught. So here's why so many people get so messed up when they start to read their Bible. They begin to look at every passage of the Bible from the standpoint of whatever their mental or religious preferences or their already preconceived notions about what they believe. 
the Bible was not just written to you and I in this day and in this time, right? The Bible was written back way thousands of years before Christ. What was going on in the world and how were they saved back then? Christ hadn't even died on the cross yet. So how is somebody saved by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when he hadn't died on the cross yet? So you go back in the Old Testament and you find them bringing in lambs to the temple and slaughtering a lamb to get remission for their sins. Well, you and I don't do that. So I'm just pointing that out to say this. Doctrinally, those teachings are to somebody else. Well, the problem is most churches look at it as Old Testament, New Testament, and it's just that simple. But it's not that simple. Because when you come to the New Testament, when Jesus Christ begins preaching in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's there preaching, and he has not yet died on the cross. And he's preaching the kingdom of heaven. He's telling the Jews, hey, your Messiah has come, and I've come to set up the kingdom. I'm here. I came to the lost sheep of the house of He tells the Gentile woman it's not meat, which means appropriate, to take the children's bread and gives it to dogs. I mean, a woman came to Jesus for help, and he said, I can't help you because you're a Gentile. She said, yea, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And because of her faith, see, it was a transition period. He's trying to teach something. But when he came, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. But when you come over to Paul's books to the churches, you're taught the gospel of the grace of God, right? That's different than the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So religious goofballs will tell you all the time, like, you know, the Beatitudes and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and all the rest of this kind of stuff. They go over there preaching some of these things Jesus was preaching to the Jews about the kingdom where he was going to reign as their king. And nowadays they preach those things as though doctrinally they apply to you. Well, when you go through the book of Matthew, you find Jesus Christ saying, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Meaning, you put your faith in God, but you have to then stay faithful to God to the end, and then you're saved. That is the end of the tribulation period. When you read those passages of Scripture, it is not talking to the church. It's talking to a time of Jacob's trouble when all the world, and we're going to see this in a minute, when all the world comes to try to obliterate Israel from off the face of the planet. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time where God allows Israel to go through, the the world's going through a tribulation, but the focus of that thing is the Antichrist wants to wipe out Israel, and Jesus Christ comes back at the last second and steps in and stops them, the kingdoms of this world, from being able to wipe out his people and sets himself up as the king of the Jews on a throne in Jerusalem on this planet for a thousand years called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That's when the kingdom is coming. Guess what you and I are not doing today? We're not bringing in the kingdom. It's a bunch of, forgive me, okay? I'm, I'm, in, I'm really in a mood to preach tonight. I don't know why, so I know it's a Wednesday night, but sometimes something just kind of like prods me and pokes me, you know what I mean? Listen, these religious goofballs, you know, Lord, and help us as we, to bring in your kingdom, as we further the kingdom. And what are you talking about? The Bible tells you that right now Satan is the God of this world. You think right now Jesus Christ is running this show? If the Lord was running this show, ain't not a pedophile on the planet would be getting away with it. 
Ain't one murderer going to be getting away with it. Ain't one rapist getting away with it. Ain't one person that hurts an innocent person be getting away with it. They will be hunted down and stopped. If Jesus Christ was actually running this show, you wouldn't have the mess on your hands you got today. The devil's the god of this world, and you are occupying enemy territory until he comes. Now, I'm going to say this because it's going to set us up for Sunday night, but I don't have time to develop it right now. There's two phases to the second advent. The second coming of Jesus Christ comes in two phases. The first phase of the second coming is the rapture of the church, and we'll get into that on Sunday night, I'll show you, where you and I are caught up into the clouds. The second phase of the second advent is at the end of a seven-year period, some say three and a half, it doesn't really make a difference either way doctrinally, but at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ actually comes back and sets his feet down on this planet and begins to fight. And he wipes out the enemies of Israel. And guess what? You and I get to fight with him in that battle. And I am looking forward to that day. I'm sorry, but I've told you before, I'm naturally a fighter. I was born back in that day. The doctors would smack you on the hind end to make you cry, to get the lungs working. And I smacked them back, so don't touch me. And I called them a name. Understand what I'm saying? But I never got to be in the military. The Lord redirected my life and blocked my path. I got a day coming that I'm going to get the fight, and I'm looking forward to that day, man. We'll come back with him in the second phase of the second advent. The first phase is our rapture. While we're up there, we're having the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and all that stuff, and then we come back with him when he comes back to stand up for Israel, and that's going to be an awesome day. And this chapter that you're looking at doctrinally applies to that time period, the second advent of Jesus Christ, the second half of the second advent, when he comes back. It's pretty exciting. There's a third lens that you look at every passage of Scripture in, and that is a practical application, which we'll get to in just a minute. And every passage in your Bible, whether it's doctrinally to you or not, you can read your Bible, and you ought to read your Bible start to finish. At some point in your life, you ought to be able to say, I have read all of my Bible cover to cover. I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm saying that's something you ought to say is one of your goals, and you ought to get that done. Every one of you ought to get that done in your life. If you're a little kid, you should start now. Four chapters a day will get you through your Bible in a year. It's not that hard. Two chapters a day will get you through your Bible in two years. Some of you should have a goal to read your Bible cover to cover before you're a teenager. You watch the difference it makes in your life. It's not that difficult to do, but I digress. So listen, every passage of Scripture, even though doctrinally not for you, when you're reading your Bible and you're asking God to speak to your heart, you can get something out of every single passage of Scripture that will help you inspirationally or spiritually in your walk with Jesus Christ. And what I'm getting from this thing is I'm thankful that i got a God who has strength and power and can give me the strength and power to serve Him in my life. And we'll get to that in a second. First, I want to show you how this thing doctrinally doesn't apply to us. Go to the book of Malachi, chapter number 4, please. Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. Right before you get to Matthew, go to Malachi, chapter number 4. And I want you to see verse number 1. Malachi, chapter 4, verse number 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven... And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what that's talking about? Look back at Psalm 68, verse 2. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. you imagine that? You and I are going to be coming back with him and we're going to be stomping on ashes of people that are melting at the presence of God. That's a pretty wild thought at the second advent. It's a pretty neat thing. That's not all. I want to show you a couple more. Go back to Zechariah, just one book before uh, Malachi. Zechariah, look at Zechariah in verse number 12. Here's a cool verse. It's just showing you a couple things about the power of God at the second advent. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. What? While they stand on their feet, their flesh is consuming away at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You thought Hollywood just had a great imagination, didn't you? They're standing, their flesh, it didn't say their bones, it said their flesh. That's a scary thought, man. I mean, if you're on the wrong side, that's a scary thought. But if you're born again and Jesus Christ is your Savior and you're coming back with Him, that ain't a scary thought at all. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's the power of Jesus Christ as He's coming back. They're literally, they're literally melting before the Lord. He's burning them up. Let me show you another passage. Go to the book of Joel. Joel, I want you to see chapter number 2. Joel, chapter number 2. Starting in verse number 1, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So that's the day of the Lord. That's the second advent. It says, A day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. Other passages will tell you that it's like neither, neither, neither clear nor dark. It's like, a, it's like a real cloudy, gloomy, rainy day. By the way, just, just stick in the back of your head for later. We'll probably get to as we go through Revelation. But there's going to be an early and latter rain marking the tribulation period because they're coming off of years of drought. Because under the judgment that, that comes with Elijah and, and, and Moses, they're coming off of years of drought throughout the tribulation period. And so when Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be a rain coming down. That's a rain that you can't even stand before. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be almost scary, the amount of rain. So those clouds, it says in Revelation 1, we'll, we'll talk about it Sunday night, He cometh with clouds. That's different than you and I caught up in the clouds. When He comes at the second advent, He's coming with clouds. He's bringing a rain down with Him. It's a wild thing. It's a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There have not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as, as the land of garden, uh, of, uh, as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. 
Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble. As a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be, as pain, shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. That's you and me coming back with Jesus Christ. They shall march everyone on his ways. They shall not break their ranks. I mean, not one time is anybody going to break rank as we're coming back, literally mowing down the enemies and the armies of the world, the armies of the Antichrist that are trying to wipe out Jerusalem, coming back with Jesus Christ. I talk about strength and power like you ain't never seen before in your life, never been seen in human history, and it's coming, the greatest battle ever coming in the future, and you get to be in it. And when you're in it, I'm going to show you in a second, you're invincible. It's pretty cool. Look at verse 7. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march every one in his ways. They shall not break their ranks. Neither shall they thrust one another. You're not going to accidentally stab one of your brothers. They shall walk every one in his path. When they shall fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. So you're marching and you trip. And you, you just pull it out and just keep going, man. While, while they're, they're burning up in front of you, they're melting away in front of you. Nothing can stop you. There's a wall, you just walk up the wall. It tells you here they walk on the tops of the houses. Verse number 9, they shall run to and, fro the, uh, to, and fro, to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in into windows like a thief. Jesus Christ is going to come back like what? Thief in the night? Everybody says that's the rapture. That ain't the rapture. That's the second advent. You're coming back like a thief with him like overrunning them so fast, they're jumping up out of bed panicking as you're marching through. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter His voice. See it? We read it in Psalm 68, didn't we? A mighty voice at that. That thing is all about the second advent. The Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for He is strong that executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Ain't that wild? Back to Psalm 68. Now that's a little bit of a setup for this coming Sunday night because we're going to be talking about that time when he comes back and every eye is going to see him and they're going to weep and wail that pierced him. And it says all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. So what you're dealing with doctrinally in Psalm 68 is a second advent passage. And I kind of think it's cool because I see myself in there. The problem is I'm not yet in that state. I don't yet have my glorified body. I don't yet have that ability to make sure that I don't ever hurt one of my brothers like it said in Joel chapter 2. Did you hear what I said? Like we're preaching on Sunday morning. I don't yet have that capability to I will not ever, ever hurt anybody else again. Right now, I'm kind of weak and I kind of get messed up. And in the fog of war, sometimes my sword, the word of God, goes the wrong direction to somebody. I, I hurt people. Hey, that day's not here yet, but that day is coming. And I'm looking forward to that day. I'm not yet at the point where I can fall on the sword and it doesn't hurt me. I still get hurt. And when I get hurt, I get wounded. And when I'm wounded, an affection of bitterness sets in and the devil begins to get advantage of my life. I do do not want to go out before that day. I want to get to that judgment seat of Jesus Christ. I want to be there with joy and not with grief. I want to go into that second advent with excitement and on into the millennial kingdom with an opportunity to reign with my Savior and give Him glory and honor and my chance now at preparing myself 
for the judgment seat of Christ or for the millennium is predicated on whether or not I understand the strength and power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, and then we'll get into three things real quick in the passage, and I'll let you go. But I'm going to tell you right now, without his strength and his power, there is no way you're going to make it. I don't care how fired up you are right now. I don't care how encouraged you are. I don't care how good everything's going. I am telling you right now, the way life is in a sinful world, the things that are coming in your future that you don't even know are there yet, if you don't have the strength and power of Jesus Christ, you won't make it. You know what scares me more than even that? Thinking I'm making it and finding out at the judgment seat of Christ I didn't. Now, when I say make it, I'm not talking about making it to heaven or hell because you wouldn't even be at the judgment seat of Christ unless you are saved. You're eternally secure. The Bible says that you can suffer loss, yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So God's going to try your works at that judgment, and he's going to see what makes it and what doesn't. And you can lose everything you ever did in this life for God, but you yourself will be saved if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because that's your doctrine from that book at this time. Your doctrine is salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Yet if we deny Him, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. In this time period, He's made you His body, He's made you His bride. You're not losing your salvation. But I will guarantee you this. It is entirely possible for me to walk into the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and say, yep, okay, Mike, what'd you do with your life? Well, I was a full-time pastor. I was a King James Bible believer. I didn't hold back, Lord. I preached, and I preached hard, and I preached straight. I never worried about what men said. And God said, okay, let's try what you did and fire up that fire and put it to my works and lose everything. And say, God, how in the world did that happen? You did everything you did in the power of your own flesh. You did everything you did thinking you were doing right because you were just somehow had that religious feeling of feeling so good about yourself when you do the right thing. Isn't that a scary thought? You know what I need? I need the strength and power of God. That's what I want in my life. And I know that if I have that, no matter what comes my way, God will get me through. If he can take us through this like he's going to in the future, then he can take us through this puny little life. You need the strength and power of God, number one, because of the enemies that you have when you're trying to serve the Lord. Look at verses 1 through 4. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. Do you realize that there are enemies that God has? Now you think about that for a minute. I'm not even talking about people. I'm talking about something that goes so far above and beyond human beings and human beings' comprehension and human beings' power. There's principalities and powers out there, kings of armies, rulers of the darkness of this world, according to that book. There's rulers of the darkness of this world that absolutely hate your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They defy Almighty God and will defy Him all the way to the damnation of the lake of fire for eternity. And guess what you did? You accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and decided you're going to give your life to follow Him and serve Him. You know what that means? You've got some enemies out there that are bigger than you are, bud. I don't care. I don't... I Look... I don't care 
how much of a tough guy you think you are. You got enemies out there that are so good at what they do and have been doing it for so long that if you don't draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ and find his strength and his power in your life, you will not make it. This, this fight's a totally different fight than any other kind of fight that can ever exist. This thing is supernatural. It's not normal. The pressure you feel in your soul to quit, to give up, the discouragement, the disappointment, the heartbreak, the confusion, and all the rest of it. You've got to have the strength and the power of God on your life to be faithful to God in this day and this age. You and I need that strength and power, and he's the only one that's got it. We need it because of our enemies. The principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, not only are they out there, but you also have enemies in this world. Look at verse 26. Blessed be God in the congregation, even the Lord from the foundation of Israel. Watch this. There is little Benjamin with their ruler. The princes of Judah and their council. The princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. You know what I notice in that? It's easy to overlook. He's saying this, there is little Benjamin in their ruler. We got all these enemies, God, that hate God and that hate Israel and, and to make the spiritual application that hate the church. There are a lot of enemies out there against what God wants to do right here in this little local church. We got, there's little Benjamin, God. There's little Bible believers, God. There's little Bible believing churches all over this country and all over this world. They're spread out. They're, they're getting farther and farther to get to. But listen, God hates, the devil hates and the world hates the little works that God's doing. Little as much if God is in it. And boy, he hates what God's doing. You know why you need the strength and power of God? Because he hates the work of God and the world you live in hates it more and more and more. They want to they shut the mouths. You're going to see more and more of this kind of foolishness going on. A friend of mine has a, some, some fool left his church, took some things that he said and clipped pieces of his message and sends it into the, to the Jewish newspaper or something like that trying to get it on the news media. The Jewish newspaper calls the preacher and starts trying to call him an anti-Semite and all the rest of that stuff. And he said, you're lying. You're putting words into my mouth. They put it out in the news media. Trying to say he's an anti-Semite. He called the guy back and said, you're lying about what I said. I just talked to him the other day. He said, I I called him back. I confronted him. He admitted. He said, you know what? You're right. You're not. He said, that idiot that left my church is using you as a pawn. And you fell for it. You know what that is? That's nothing more than a demonic attack on a local church to try to ruin their testimony in that area so people won't come and souls won't get saved. They'll take clips of what you say off the internet, taking clips of what you say out of your messages and try to make you say something you didn't say. You just, you just mark it down right now. Those kind of attacks are coming and they're going to come even more in the future. This world is against what God's trying to do. You need the strength and power of God. I read the article and I laughed. I said, anybody with a brain would look at that article and say, whoever this guy is, he's in a vendetta against this preacher, and what he's saying don't even make sense. I said, that thing ain't going to hurt you at all. He's like, yeah, I know it ain't. They don't hurt him a bit. But boy, they sure do want to shut you up. They sure do want to stop you. You got enemies. God's people are not that big. You realize we're the minority? And as time goes on, you're going to be more and more of the minority. 
You feel, you know what? You adults feel the squeeze, don't you? When you go to work, you feel the pressure. Think about how these kids feel, especially these ones that are in public school. Think about how they feel. You're feeling the pressure. Why? Because we're getting closer to the end. You know what you young people need? You need the strength and power of God. Listen, listen, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to go out there and feel like everything you hear and see, it's your job to jump in their face and start preaching at them. Okay? I know what I just said is probably considered blasphemy by most Bible-believing preachers. I don't even want you to do that. I do not want you to go to school at 14, 15, 16, 12, 10, 8, and make yourself a target. Now, if you want to do that, more power to you. But you better pray up. And when you speak up, you better speak up knowing what you're going to have coming. And be ready not to get bitter and upset and angry and nervous and afraid to walk into school. I would rather some of you just get away from the wrong kids and let them be idiots. And go sit by yourself at lunch. And find one or two decent friends and hang around with them. Because there always are a few good ones out there. And birds of a feather will flock together. And I know exactly what's going on in your head. Listen to me. Listen. I'm going to get personal. Even at our camp. I know exactly what's going on in your head by who you gravitate to. If you're hanging out with certain kids, I start praying for you. I don't assume that you're the devil. I don't assume that you're a rebel. I just watch and I start praying because I know birds of a feather flock together. That's a fact of the matter. Mom and dad, listen. I don't care how perfect you think your little child is. My little baby would never... You read your kid by looking at who their friends are. Kids are like, shut him up, please, shut him up. God, he has another point, doesn't he? I'm telling you right now, I don't care what you think they are or what they present themselves to be to you, you'll figure them out by their friends. You know what I'd rather you kids do? Just get away from them. Why? Because I want you to live long enough to get stronger in the Lord and keep getting fed and stay faithful in church and get to a point where you know what to say and how to say it and you can kind of handle a little bit of the pressure that's coming. But the pressure is so great nowadays, I'm not trying to push all you to go to the church and be, go to public school and be a little street preacher. Just go to public school and be faithful to God, would you please? You're little and you're going to get smaller and smaller as time goes on. But that don't mean you can't be strong. But I am telling you, that strength is not in you. You don't have it, and you'll never have it. That strength is in Him. And if you get close to Him, you'll make it. Because it's His strength. It's His power. He doesn't give it to us. He has it. And when we get close to Him, we have it from Him. You need His strength and power because of your enemies. Not just the principalities and powers. Not just the world, but the flesh. Look at verse 13. Though we have lying among the pots... Yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove, covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. What a weird verse, huh? What's this, though we have lean, lean among the pots? You remember what they were in Egypt? They were bakers and cooks and bottle wash. and That laying among the pots, that's your servants and your, your lowly people that are in captivity and just made to serve everybody else. That's what they were. God took him out from that and says, I'm going to give you wings of a dove. You know what you were before Jesus Christ? You were a servant to the filth of this world. You were nothing. You had nothing. 
Listen, the only problem, and I'm one of you, okay? The only problem with the second generation Christians? We start thinking we never were among the pots. And that's why you'll see a lot of second generation Christians ain't got the power of God on their life to blow a gnat off their shoulder. They can't minister to people. They can't help anybody else who's in trouble. They can't reach out to some drug addict or some alcoholic or some fornicator or somebody that comes from a rough background and broken heart. They can't help anybody because they don't realize what God did for them. They don't understand what it's like to feel weak. I'm not saying you got to go out there. I'm saying you got to get a hold of God to understand what you actually are. I don't believe this junk. I just caught myself. I wasn't going to swear, but it was going to be kind of crude. You know what I mean? (laughs) That you have to go to the world in order to have the power of God on your life. I don't believe that at all. David had it from the time he was a little boy. You're not going to find any of that in David's background. The flesh will mess you up. The flesh will mess you up because of its past. I know some people that just, man, if I had gotten in earlier, I wish I'd have come to this church younger. If I'd have raised my kids here, yeah, that's a trick of the devil. You know what he's doing? He's draining you of your strength. Flesh will mess you up because of your past. The flesh will mess you up because of your lack of past. Well, I've always been a good kid. Yeah, and that's your problem. That's why you're useless for God. That attitude. Not always being a good kid. That attitude. The flesh is the enemy. You understand that, right? You need the strength and power of God in order to beat the enemy. We need the strength and power of God, number two, because of the emptiness that's in this world. Look at verses 5-7. through A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah, see it? Three times Selah shows up in this chapter, and what have I taught you about that? Every time, that's a tribulation context, right? The earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. See, he's coming back. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, did send a plentiful rain. Remember what I told you about that? We saw the passages where he's coming with clouds and gloominess. Whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. They were dried up and God showed up with rain. You know what God is? You need his strength and power because God is a helper to those that are empty. Why don't we go to him when we're feeling empty? Look at verse 5. A father of the fatherless. You know what you live in a nation full of now? Fatherless children, man. You want to know what makes a man angry? I mean angry. Bitter, troublemaking, unable to be restrained. Having a lousy dad or not having a dad at all. Having a hard, austere dad that doesn't have the balance to know when to be hard on him and when to love him. Having a father that provokes him to anger lest he be discouraged. And what you got nowadays in this entire nation is a bunch of men that ain't got the spiritual character to raise a family, to invest in somebody else, to love their kids, to sacrifice for their kids, and the common sense and wisdom from God to know when to be what and how to be that and what time. You want to provoke them to anger? Put such hard rules on them that they never can live up to your expectations of what they should be. They're never good enough. 
Because you're a Saul. Because you're envious of the potential you see in them. And when they start becoming a threat to you, you've got to beat them down all the time. You want to provoke them to anger? Don't put any rules on them at all. You said that's the opposite of what you just said. Yeah, I know. Just, just be one of these stupid, stupid, lazy parents. Well, my kids never caused me any trouble at all. You know what I guarantee you? The problem is the parent. Because I know human nature. My kids never caused me any trouble at all. Oh, really? Well, that's easy for kids to be so easy to get along with when there's no rules. I said home by 10. It's 10.02. What I meant was 10. Give me the keys. You understand what I'm saying? Boundaries. You know what I mean? Oh, you just let them do whatever they want. No, of course they're a perfect little brat. Put some rules on them and find out what kind of character they got. You see what I'm saying? You know you provoke your kids to anger by not giving them rules? Because everybody everywhere wants to know boundaries. Why do you think religions do so well? People are looking for boundaries. That, that, it's a sense of security that comes with knowing how I'm to behave and what I'm supposed to do. You want good kids? Give them some boundaries. And guess what? They will then give you trouble. You know what they do when they're little? You say, don't touch, right? They go. So you already told them once, right? So daddy said, don't touch. <laughs> You know what they want? They want boundaries. You know what? You see a little brat that just is a little stinking brat and they're miserable. They're miserable kids. When one time you say don't touch and you back it up, right? The next time you say don't touch and they do it and you don't back it up. You're confusing them. You're provoking them to anger. You're inconsistent and you're aggravating them. If it's the rule, it's the rule. I don't care if you're settled into your lazy boy and you're full, you're sitting there belching, and you know, you had your day, and you're falling asleep already watching TV. I don't care. The rule's the rule. I mean, I'm talking about being a good father. You know what God is? He's a father to the fatherless. You know what is left in people's lives? A vacancy. And I'm telling you, so many people, not just fatherless scenario, so many people have those emotional vacancies in their life because of the prevalence of sin and the way families have been torn apart and destroyed and God's people, even saved people nowadays, don't know how to behave like a saved person ought to behave, not just in the world, but even in their own home. There's a vacancy. Hey, I'm thankful for a God that steps into the vacancies in life. When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You got a generation where the parents have lost natural affection and the kids don't love the parents? I'm talking like a little kid, what was a kid like 10 years old or something, shot his mother in the head because she wouldn't buy him uh, some kind of a video game or something like that? Shot her, huh? A virtual reality thing? Okay, shot his mother in the head, 10 years old. And then when his aunt said something to him about it, he said, yeah, I'm sorry. Did my Amazon delivery get here? You know what that is? That's a void in the soul. That's pure, unadulterated evil. Probably raised in such a way. I'm not accusing that mom. I don't know her. But I've seen a lot of them raised in such a way where they're not taught anything. 
You know what you and I need today? More than ever before, I see it even in the church. We need strength and power from God because the emptiness is... Now let me say this without being mean. Not, this is not meant mean. Some of you have empty spots that you don't know you have and it's not even your fault. It's because your parents and the generation before them walked away from God, stopped believing the Bible, stopped doing things according to the Word of God, and you weren't even raised with any concept whatsoever on how to raise kids. You weren't raised with any concept whatsoever on how to love a wife or love a husband or, or run a home like God would have you. You know what you need more than ever before? The strength and power of God in your life. I mean, we, I'm not, I'm not just beating on you. We, we need it more than ever before. I see, I see Christian homes that are an absolute mess and the devil's getting in there and messing with their kids and getting in your kids' heads and in your kids' hearts and planting all kinds of debauchery in their minds while you're sitting on the couch watching TV and not at all holding them to account for what's going on. You don't even know where they're at. And that is your responsibility. It's real easy. Give me that phone. No, I'm asking for your phone. Thank you, brother. Give me that phone. We're setting parental restrictions on it at a minimum. At a minimum. I'm talking about emptinesses. And folks, there's a lot of them. He says he's a father to the fatherless. Man, I'm thankful for that. I love that about God. I think he, he's got a soft spot in his heart. Not just that, but he's a judge of the widows. See that in verse 5? You know what that is? That, that's an empty spot that was just left there by the, by the circumstances of life. You can be filled with the Spirit of God and praying every day. I mean, like, I mean, was that Anna in the temple? She is just devoted to God from, the, from her widowhood, and she was a widow early in life. Just the circumstances of life. Just, man, this is just cotton-picking unfair, and how could this happen? And oh, my word. And there she is serving God, but life hit her. There's a widow. A woman without protection. A woman without a man to provide for her kind of out there on her own. I know right now I'm talking like, what? Oh my goodness, we're all equal. We're not all equal. We're not all created the same. Okay? Period, the end of the discussion. All right? By the way, women's strengths are men's weaknesses, and men's weaknesses, you find women's strengths. God created us to balance each other real nicely if we just accept what we are and play our role. Instead of the mess you see going on nowadays, it doesn't work. Here's a woman that doesn't have somebody to look out for her. You know what God does? When God sees a good woman in that state, God will step in for her. What a great God. Pure religion undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. God cares about fatherless children that nobody else pays any attention to and widows that nobody has the time for. Think about the loneliness of that, man. Sitting there day in and day out. Kids are too busy. They're running around. They got their lives. They can't come see her. She doesn't have a husband to sit there and enjoy a cup of coffee with or go for a walk with. God's the one that steps into the empty places. You know, single people, you know what you need? You need the strength and power of God to step into that empty spot. Because without it, the devil get advantage of you because of that emptiness and get you off there in left field like you've seen others do going after the wrong kind of woman or the wrong kind of man or bring them into your life and he'll bring them into your life and bring them into your life and bring you better have the strength and power of God before you get wore down. I don't want to see you out. 
He's a father to, the, to the, father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the defenseless, the widows. He's a friend of the lonely. Verse 6, God set up the solitary in families. You see that? You know what you got here in this place? We were talking about it, I think it was Sunday night. Man, when I started serving God, all of a sudden my family didn't want to be around me anymore. When I said, yeah, well, it's great, we'll get together, but I'm not drinking, I don't want to be around all that, and that, oh, all of a sudden they're, they're just going to go on without us. Testimonies we had here just a couple of weeks ago, people were saying, yeah, you know, I didn't, I don't have any grandparents, but God's given me more grandparents in this church than I ever would have had if I had my own. That's how God works, man. You know where his strength and power is found? Right here. He said at the solitary in families. You know what you've got here? You've got a family. That's why you need a local church. He supplies what the poor needs. In verses 9 and 10, Thou hast sent a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. God knows what you need, and He can give it to you. But you know what you need? You need His strength and His power. Last point, and we'll go home, and it's a short one. Look at verse 18. Thou hast ascended on high... Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Very interesting verse. It reminds me of Ephesians 4, verse 8, right? He, that, he, we, he ascended and gave gifts for men. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, that, that solitary in families. That's why we call it a church family. Because it is. That's what it's supposed to be. We don't, we don't look and act like any other church. We have the same doctrine as the Bible believers who rightly divide. The King James Bible believers who rightly divide, which is a very slim crowd among even the Baptist circles, the evangelical circles, whatever you want to call them. It's a very slim crowd, but we're not the only ones. But you know, we still don't act exactly like it. We do things a little different. Believe the same but we do things a little different. You know why? We're a local family. That doesn't make us right and them wrong. You understand that, right? It's not like we're better than... It. No, when you look at other churches, you're like, that's kind of weird. It was uncomfortable. That was, it's just weird. You, know, you go to a revival, like, yeah, it's really like our church. That was weird. Well, don't be critical. They just do things different because that's how they do it at their family. And so I'm glad you're like, I like my church. Good. You know why? Because this is what you're used to. We're a family, and we get to where we just enjoy what God's given us. God gave gifts unto men, and the gift is a local New Testament Bible-believing church where you can come and get fed and get preached at and get some help, get straightened up, get convicted, get comforted, get the strength and the power you need to keep going through the rest of your week because it's Wednesday, and you've got to go back to work tomorrow and face them again, and you need a little shot in the arm from God to help you get the strength to get through tomorrow. Now notice... You need his strength for yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. You know why we need the strength and power of God? Because of our own errors. I'll tell you this much I know for sure. When the devil can't use other things to get you to quit on God, he will use your own faults and shortcomings. Nobody else gives a rip about what they do wrong but you. 
a born-again, Bible-believing crowd with the Spirit of God in them that's convicting them about where they aren't good enough and where they don't come to church enough and where they fail and where they messed up and, oop, I slammed my finger in the door and I cussed and I shouldn't have listened to that music again and I've been trying to quit smoking for years and I've been... Whatever your problems are, you care. And since you care but you're struggling and you mess up, the devil will get on you and say, you're a hypocrite. Don't ask God to forgive you. You're just going to do it again. 1 John 1, 9 eventually has to run out. You know my illustration. I'm sorry, but i got to use it again. You showered today, didn't you? Most of you did. A couple of you I was wondering, but most of you... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You showered, don't you? You're just going to stink again tomorrow. But you know what you do tomorrow? You shower again. That's the exact same thing with getting right with God, with going back to Him and confessing your sins. Don't let the guilt monkey get on your back and get you out of church because, well, I'm not doing enough. You're doing more than you used to, aren't you? Your errors will discourage you. When you mess up, the humiliation of that and the frustration of that and the pain of that will drain you. You need the strength and the power of God to keep you going in spite of the fact that you're going to mess up. For the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell where? Among them. Ain't that crazy that God will show up in a place like this and speak to our hearts? You had a wild thought. Ain't that crazy that God Almighty will care enough to stop by and comfort somebody in this room that's lonely? Work in your life to meet your needs. Defend you against your enemies and keep you safe. Keep you serving. Keep you in church. Ain't that a wild thing? In spite of the fact that you know what you are. <laughs> you're a mess up. I'm not being mean to you. I'm telling you, you're a mess up. Yes, sir. And so am I. And you know what I've found? I've found a God that will fellowship with a man who has sin in his nature. As long as that sin doesn't reside and take over in his heart. So the fact that it bothers you that you messed up. Is, a, is, a, is an amazing thing that shows you that sin's not residing in your heart because you're bothered by it. And God will fellowship with you if you care. Look down at the end of the chapter and we'll, we'll go home. To him that rideth upon the heavens of heavens which were of old, lo, he does send out his voice and that a mighty voice. How do you hear that voice today? See it in verse 11? The Lord gave the word. Great was the company that published it. You know what you're holding in your lap? The closest thing you're going to hear to the voice of God until the rapture. That's why you come to church and the preacher better be preaching the Bible. Why? So you can hear the voice of God in your life. Ascribe ye strength unto God. See it? Oh, he's a strong Christian. Well, if that's true, then I'll tell you one thing I know about him. He's walking with God. Why? Because his strength is ascribed unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength in the cl- is in the clouds. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he, now watch it, that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. See that? You know where it comes from? It's a gift from God. I don't usually do it on a Wednesday night, but if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to ask the pianist to come up.